Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. ThatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz Podcast, part of the ThatCast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and thanks for tuning in to the first of what will hopefully be many editions of the Beaver Buzz Podcast. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this show here. My plan is to bring you as much insight as possible to your favorite Oregon State sports. Uh, You'll get to hear plenty of men's and women's basketball content the next few weeks as the Beavers are Pac-12 contenders on both sides. And coming up later in today's show, I'll sit down with men's basketball reporter Jesse Soa of the Corvallis Gazette Times, uh, one of my good friends and a former co-worker who has uh, covered the team for the last six seasons. No one is more plugged into Oregon State men's basketball than Jesse, and I know that he's going to have some great, great takes for us on the ascendance of Kyler Kelly and Trace Tinkle's Pac-12 Player of the Year chances, and then the other topics. Just Jesse's relationship with Wayne Tinkle goes back several years, and again, nobody, nobody is more plugged in on the the day-to-day happenings of Oregon State men's basketball. But before we get to Jesse, I just wanted to tell those of you a little bit about myself. I'm a 2006 Crescent Valley graduate, go Raiders, stayed home, went to Oregon State, and I actually got into media originally by starting just as a 10-hour-a-week part-timer at the Albany Democrat Herald, mostly sitting in the office at nights, taking phone calls from high school coaches, looking at faxes, and writing up short little gamers on high school stories. Um, It's not necessarily the most glamorous work but it's a great way to get your foot in the door and I learned a lot while doing that and I hung around at the Democrat Herald and uh, was eventually uh, promoted to a full-time employee and then eventually the Democrat Herald and the Corvallis Gazette Times sports staff merged and became one and in the summer of 2014 I began mostly working out of the Corvallis office covering Oregon State sports and a lot of prep action as well until I was laid off with five other newsroom employees in late August of last year. Uh, I've been freelancing uh, ever since, mostly for the Oregonian, but some other publications as well. Um, Freelancing certainly has its pluses and minuses, but you know, it does pay the bills, so I'm I'm not going to be one to complain. Most of you who do know me are probably familiar with my Oregon State baseball coverage, and I began covering the team uh, in 2015, and was with them day-to-day in Omaha for the last two College World Series. And Oregon State came up short in 2017, but as everyone knows, the Beavers got it done last June and came home with their third national title. I think I have a pretty good relationship with several people uh, in and close to that program, Uh, and I certainly plan to have plenty of baseball-related guests on this program as we move into the spring. Uh, Full disclosure, I've never hosted a podcast before, so I'll certainly be learning a little bit as I go here and there. Uh, Please cut me a little slack through the first few episodes as I iron some of these details out. Uh, But I I know that if you guys stick it out and work with me, I think I'll bring a pretty solid show on a weekly basis. 
Um, I'll, I'll certainly try to do plenty of interviews with Oregon State athletes and coaches who I think would be, uh, I think have good things to say and are interesting people and would be uh, would be interesting interviews. And I also know uh, a lot of media people that I hope to try to encourage to bring on to this show. Um, maybe I can grab Mike Parker here or there and have him on, uh, throw a little Steve Gress in for some women's basketball. Uh, he is my former boss at the Kowalskis at times. And I think, uh, he's all over, uh, women's basketball. I think uh, unlike anyone else in the media, hopefully, uh, Oregonian Oregon state beat reporter, Nick Dashell can join me maybe even get, uh, his colleague Ken go on to talk about, uh, the two plus weeks we spent together in Omaha last June. I, I think uh, Ken and I probably have some tales from the College World Series and can maybe even tell you uh, which convenience stores have the best craft beer selections uh, out there. And uh, spoiler alert on that, the, uh, the Texaco across the, uh, across the street from the Sleep Inn in North Omaha uh, is underrated <laughs> from that aspect. Anyway, that, that's my plan for the show. I really do hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, before we get to Jesse Soa, I want to tell you about thatcast.com, which of course is the website you can find this podcast. Uh, there are plenty of other great things to listen to right now on a variety of topics. Uh, I know that I try to catch every episode of the Oregon High School Sports Podcast hosted by the talented Billy Gates, another really good guy. If you love prep sports, you've got to check that one out, plus all the other podcasts they have on thatcast.com. And we'll be right back with a conversation with Jesse Soa. Red Line is special because we got three different types of training going. We have 20-minute speed, 20-minute skill, and the rest is uh, weightlifting. It's really cool, so it's going to get me really ready for college. Come down and join the Red Line team here in Clackamas online at redlineathletics.com. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Welcome back. We're here coming from the Guild Coliseum basement, and luckily it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Jesse Soa to the Beaver Buzz podcast. So Jesse, uh, first off, how have you handled uh, Snowpocalypse 2019? I survived somehow. I'm not sure. Uh, the biggest part was just uh, getting the snow off my car uh, to get down here. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely almost slipped uh, walking over, which probably wouldn't have been great with all this equipment, but... You know, we made it, so that that's great, and I guess that's really all that's important. That's right. Let's get this thing going. Well, we certainly have more important things to talk about. The OSU men's basketball team sitting at 14-7 and seven overall, 6-3 and three in Pac-12 play, which I believe is their best start in conference in, in nearly 30 years. And they're coming off the program's first-ever sweep at the Mountain Schools and, and the, their first conference road sweep in, what, is that 10 years? Yeah, 10 years, 2009. So we just uh, we just talked with some of the players, and it, it, everyone seems to be quite happy with the way things have been with the way things have been going. I guess what, what do you think it, the kind of mood is with the team as we've hit the halfway point in Pac-12 play? I think that uh, road sweep that was just a huge confidence booster because this is a group that has not had a lot of success on the road. Um, you know, just a a game here or there um, on the road that they've won in Pac-12 play. Um, they got to be feeling pretty good, but. Uh, 
as I asked a couple guys about, you know, they've also got to kind of guard against, um, you know, not getting away what's gotten them to this point, you know, this uh, level of success so far. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that this is something we we maybe haven't seen with this team in recent years. I, I think they've they've been in a lot of games. Uh, there've been a lot of, of close you know, stretches down at the end of these games, and they haven't been able to pull some of them out. And really, at, at the Mountain Schools, they they were in a couple of uh, fifth fist fights there, and we saw them uh, find ways to get the job done and get W. So, what what do you think is different about this year's team? I think this team is uh, you know most of these guys are. Um, have been in this program for for a couple of years now. Even the sophomores have a ton of experience by this point in their careers, and uh, I think it's just that it's just the experience and uh, kind of understanding now what it takes to to win a game in those last couple minutes. Well, it certainly has been an interesting season overall for these guys. Uh, a couple of probably uh, disappointing losses early in the year to Texas A&M and Kent State. Uh, games that, uh, unlike this mountain trip we just saw. They were in it to the end and couldn't find a way to pull it out against teams that they probably have more talent than and uh, probably should just you probably need to finish those games when you're a veteran group. But they've seemingly turned it around in Pac-12 play. So I guess it, has there been something that you do think has maybe changed from where they were in non-conference play to now? Because whereas in the past, like we'd mentioned, they, they'd struggled to pull some of these games out. We're seeing them win these close games now. Yeah, I think a big thing is chemistry because there are a bunch of guys who weren't with this team last year, you know, some guys who have been thrown into key roles, Kyler Kelly, Antoine Vernon, uh, Warren Washington, guys who have uh, really been asked to, to play a part, you know, because they, they lost a couple guys uh, who left the program uh, w- within this season and uh, some other guys have had to step up. Yeah, chemistry and I think just, uh, just learning to play together. Um, like I said, um, quite a few guys uh, who haven't been with this team, and, and they're kind of reaching the point where on both ends of the floor, everybody's kind of figuring out their roles. Well, you mentioned Kyler Kelly. We should probably just jump right into it there. He's been nothing short of a revelation, I think, for Oregon State. I just I know we were talking up in, up in watching practice earlier today. About, about a year ago, we were sitting at Lynn Benton Community College watching Kyler play for Lane. And he, in no way, while, while playing through an injury, in no way was dominating against that level of competition. I think we could see the athleticism. We could see some potential for great things. But in no way was he a finished product. And now we're looking at a guy that leads Division One in block shots at 3.67 per game. He obviously just set the school record for block shots in the season at Utah. I believe he had six in that game. Uh, so certainly – Oregon State's coaching staff with Wayne Tinkle, they, they saw things they liked in him to give him a scholarship, but did they envision a player that was going to be this productive right away at the Pac-12 level? I think they really figured they were going to have to kind of work him in because, yeah, he didn't have that experience um, and not had not played against high-level competition. I think his progression can be attributed to a couple things. Yeah, the coaching staff for sure. Kerry Rupp is an excellent uh, post-coach and has done a, a ton of work with Kyler. And then the other thing with Kelly is just his uh, willingness to work hard. I mean, there hasn't, uh, there hasn't been a time this season where I haven't seen him just pretty much going 100%. He's one of the first guys out to practice. And just, it's a kid, that, you know, he's a kid that wants to get better. So what, what is kind of 
what, what is Kyler kind of like? It seems like uh, he might, might be a little shy. I, I don't really, I, I don't really know too much about him. I know he grew up. I believe he ended up growing up in Utah, correct? Before he came to Oregon. Yeah. What, what is Kyler kind of like, and how has he fit in with this group of guys that really have been playing together for a while? He does come off to the media as a relatively quiet guy, but I'm wondering if that's simply because he hasn't done a lot of interviews before. Um, you know, you, you watch him in his interactions with his teammates, and he's a, he's a much more vocal guy. But, um, yeah, he, he's like I said, he's a kid who wants to work hard, and uh, uh, I, I don't want to say the sky's the limit, but he, he still has a lot of growth to do, and um, the, it could take him a long ways. You know, it seemed like Kyler had a, a maybe a couple down games. I don't even know if that's fair to say. But prior to Saturday, he wasn't really his typical self. I, I know he didn't play that much against Colorado. It might have been a matchup deal or, or something like that. He got into foul trouble against Washington. But in that Utah game, he just seemed super engaged. It almost kind of reminded me of a previous game against USC in which he only scored five points, but he, it felt like he just dominated the game because he controlled the paint. I believe he had seven blocked shots, and he was maybe the most, other than Stevie Thompson, he was maybe the best player in that game. So do, you, do you think, was Kyler struggling a little bit the last few games, or is he just kind of a young, immature, raw basketball player who just is going to naturally have ups and downs as he goes? I think there's some of both of that, the, the ups and downs, and um, you know, just still trying to figure out uh, Division One basketball as, as a first-year guy. He told me before practice today that he had a, kind of a sit-down, long talk with uh, Coach Tinkle just about kind of getting back on track and yeah he had a couple games there where he just seemed kind of kind of distant and uh out you know playing outside of what Oregon State was looking for from him but um boy whatever it was that uh that him and coach Tinkle talked about sure got him uh back to where he needs to be and uh yeah six blocks on uh, Saturday against Utah all those in the second half and uh, I think he was, yeah, he was in double digits in scoring too and uh, basically provided everything that Oregon State wants from him. I mean, in case you have a story upcoming, we don't need to step over that or anything. But what, what were any of those details on the conversation he had with Wayne? Did he really get into that at all? Because it just, it definitely to me seemed like he looked like a, a way different player in that Utah game than he had maybe in the, in, in the previous games before that. Yeah, Kyler didn't get into details, but um, certainly it was about what they're looking for from him and, and what he wasn't providing in, in that short little stint. And, uh, yeah, he definitely looked just uh, like a totally different player against Utah. And uh, he can't uh, underscore what, uh, you know, that performance meant in that game. I mean, I certainly do feel like the best way to attack Kyler is by going directly at him. And I think that's not yeah. unique for shot blockers. You see that with a lot of guys. Is that uh, with Kyler, is that maybe a strength thing or is that just a common thing you see with shot blockers? Because I certainly have noticed Kyler is the most effective at blocking shots when he's coming from the weak side. And oftentimes if he's the direct on-ball defender, it's maybe a little bit tougher for him to defend at this point. Is that is that is that just something that he's going to need to develop as he gets a little bit older? Or do you think that that is an area in which he already has improved this season? Yeah, I think he has. I wouldn't necessarily stack it up to strength. I think, um, like you said, a lot of shot blockers have difficulty when guys come right at them. But I, I've also seen him improve in his low post, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one defense. And I think uh, he's only going to get better there.
Isn't it kind of crazy to think about what his role would have been if Drew Eubanks hadn't gone pro? I mean, what would this team look like from a post perspective? I mean, you've got Big G playing big minutes. You've got Warren Washington, a freshman who also has looked good in stretches. You've got, obviously, Kyler. I mean, what, what would this team's front court look like if Drew hadn't uh, gone pro? Boy, I can't imagine. I mean, there's a, there would have been just a wealth of uh, – of depth there um, of course they don't they don't have that at this point uh, Jack Wilson freshman has, has moved on he was I'm not sure how much time he would have got but he certainly would have added to the depth there but um, yeah I, I'm not sure what that would have looked like I think a lot of people uh, probably questioned Drew's decision to go pro last year um, I, it was easy to say he might not have been ready, and I think that could have been a fair point. But, you know, he's gotten some run with the Spurs, and it looks like he is going to be an NBA player. I know he's had a lot of success in the G League as well. So, But, it, but, but is it crazy to think that Kyler is maybe better or, or more further along from a defensive perspective at this point than Eubanks ever was? I mean, certainly Drew was never the shot blocker that Kyler has proven to be. And really, on the offensive side of things, Kyler's total package might not be super developed yet, but he can be a very effective offensive player. And I think just watching practice, you can see that there's potential there for him to maybe extend his shooting range. And, and really, from terms of athleticism, I think Drew and Kyler are both very strong athletes. It just, to me, when I watch Kyler, I think that is what a modern NBA center looks like. Not saying that that is what he could be, but I think he could project to that. What do you think? Do you see a path for Kyler to be an NBA player someday? I think it's there. And yeah, I would give him uh, a slight edge defensively on Eubanks. I think uh, Kyler needs to be a better rebounder. I think that's that's one of the things that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of held him back. Um, but I, I see that path. Obviously, he's going to uh, need uh, a better offensive skill set. But he's got time. He, the kid's a junior. He's got uh, you know another year plus in this program, and uh, I think if he keeps working, he can he can get to where he could uh, make an impact there. Well, you mentioned him earlier too. Another guy that continues to impress is freshman guard Antoine Vernon. I, just, I remember seeing him early in the season, and my first kind of initial takeaway is fair or not, where this guy looks small. He doesn't look too quick. He, and I'm just not sure if this guy's a Pac-12 level scholarship player. But I, I couldn't have been more wrong. He, he truly is. He's completely proven himself uh, to be at least a rotation piece. And I think the coaching staff might feel he could be more someday. I, I think he's a good passer. He can certainly shoot. He seems to always uh, – just a really high basketball IQ. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it just seems like he does. He makes the right plays. And I just – I think I like almost everything I see about his game. Every time he's, every time he's playing, whether it's in practice or – in a game against Utah or Colorado, it just seems like he's a guy who knows how to make plays. And I think good things happen when he's out there. <laughs> Depth on this Oregon State team maybe isn't its strong suit. So, I mean, where, where would they be without a guy like Vernon? Because it seems like he's really stabilized things for them. Yeah, with uh, Jordan Campbell, another freshman who left the, the program, they were they were uh, left pretty thin as far as experience in the guard position. And, you know, Antoine doesn't have that. But, boy, he has given Oregon State everything that they wanted from him. And like you said, he's a smart basketball player. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's uh, a really good defender. He's also a good ball handler when they've uh, had trouble breaking presses. He's the guy they kind of turn to to make that happen. And, uh, yeah, he, this kid has a bright future in the program. 
I know he hit some big free throws in that first Pac-12 game against Oregon. Did, did he ever mention or say anything about that being, I don't know if turning point is the right word, but was that an important moment for him to have such a, a huge moment early in his Oregon State career, you know, on the road again, you know, in a rivalry game? And he came up huge. Like, did, was that a really important thing for him? He did talk about that because he said he felt like he wasn't sure he, he belonged in the program. Um, but coming up big for the, the team in that uh, situation had to have just given him uh, a huge confidence boost. And since then, he's he'd, uh, made some other big free throws um, and, and made a lot of contributions. I think he's, uh, he's still perfect on the year at the free throw line. I think he's made 13 out of 13. And uh, to have a young guy be able to step up and make those kind of shots is really big. Yeah, from uh, from a free throw perspective, I mean, Oregon State hasn't been perfect this year. We know that, but they they've been pretty solid for the most part. And we 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 certainly saw a lot of free throws just overall in that Utah game, the the first half anyway. Um, switching gears a bit, though, let's talk about uh, Oregon State on the defensive end because I know that Coach Tinkle is always really want, wants him to play strong defense, and I I think that you know overall Oregon State's been pretty decent defensively this year. We've seen a lot of zone, which is very normal, but in that Utah game, I think it was almost exclusively man. And the defense didn't necessarily jump out to me in a, in a positive way in the Colorado game, but I know that uh, you mentioned, I believe, in one of your stories that uh, Coach Tinkle felt that that game was won late on the defensive end. Why, why did he kind of think that? Um, if I remember right from that, that Thursday game against Colorado, they were um, just bonded uh, together as a group, and it was um, – it, it, it seemed interesting. You could just see um, what they were doing as a unit, and, and uh, they were getting steals. Uh, Kyler was blocking some shots. They were getting the rebounds, and uh, that was probably their best stretch of, uh, of basketball um, late in a game in, in quite a while like that. You know, you mentioned Kyler, and he's certainly such an important piece on the defensive end. Do you, do you feel who are Oregon State's best individual defenders outside Kyler? Or is it really the fact that they play such quality team defense overall? And is that the most important aspect for, for Oregon State on the defensive end? Yeah, I think it is more of that, that team aspect. These last few games, uh, percentage-wise, they haven't held teams. Uh, I think the last three or four uh, opponents have, have been at 50% or better, but I think it is more of that team aspect and really to be able to come up with key stops like they did uh, in both those games over the weekend, in particular Utah, who has some of that offensive firepower to be able to come back at you. And Oregon State just found a way in that second half, especially to, to get stops and, uh, and hold that lead. Well, somehow we've been talking for about 15 minutes and Trace Tinkle hasn't come up. He just won Pac-12 Player of the Week, I think very, very deservedly so. I poured in 31 points in that big win over Utah, including a huge three-pointer late that really sort of sealed that game. And I, I remember watching early the first few minutes and Trace just didn't look remotely healthy to me. It seemed like he was really limping around on that bad ankle. I didn't think he had terrific lateral movement. Maybe things were just stiff. I mean, he had just played a basketball game not that long before, and ankle injuries certainly are tricky. Um, but he, I, I think it would be fair to say that it must have been feeling better late because he, again, he made the most important shots at the end. He scored 31 points. Where, where do you think Trace's ankle kind of is at health-wise? He, he didn't give an exact percentage on how good it feels right now in practice, but, I mean, he just can't be close to 100%, is he? 
Right. I don't think so. The fact that he, he is not practicing, and I'm not sure he has practiced since that injury on January 5th, I believe it was, uh, in the conference opener at Oregon. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it's 100%, but he talked last week just about how the adrenaline kind of kicks in once the game gets started. And early in both those games over the weekend, uh, it, it looked like he was a little bit slow to start, but boy, once he got going, um, it, you know, there was there was no slowing him down and, and he wasn't uh, didn't look like he was having issues at all. I mean, Trace leads Oregon State in, in several categories, just one Pac-12 player of the week. Uh, is he your Pac-12 player of the year at this point? I mean, I know Jalen Knoll from UW. He, he's likely the front one runner. The Huskies are off to a 9-0 start and look like they're probably going to win the league. But I'm not sure his game overall is complete as Trace's is. Am I crazy to think he has a shot at this award? Oh, he absolutely has a shot at it, yeah. You look at uh, Jalen Noel, he doesn't have the stats. I mean, he's on a team that's undefeated, and he's probably their, their top player, maybe 1A and 1B with Matisse Thibel there. But, um, yeah, he absolutely has a shot at it, um, especially if, if Oregon State keeps winning and he keeps putting up uh, these numbers like he has. Yeah, offense under Wayne Tinkle uh, it hasn't always been uh, Oregon State's strong, you know, strong suit, but this team can really score the ball in a variety of ways and from a whole bunch of different people. And on any given night, you, on any given night, you can watch Trace put in you know, 30 points, Ethan Thompson, Stevie Thompson can certainly score a lot of points, say, really in almost any game. And I'm just, I'm not sure some of the past teams had this variety of options. I, you know, I do think there are times where we might see too much one-on-one -on -one offensive play out of Oregon State, but, you know, it's starting to get hard to ignore the results. This, this really is a dangerous offensive team, aren't they? It is, definitely. Um, I don't think there's been uh, this good of an offensive team under Wayne. You'd have to go back to Craig Robinson's teams, guys like Roberto Nelson who could really score the ball. But yeah, just the variety of ways this team can score. The three-point shooting hasn't been what they want it to be, but uh, they still make enough from out there to be able to open up the floor for guys like Stevie and, and Trace to be able to get some uh, it looks uh, closer to the basket. Yeah, I mean, Stevie and Trace, maybe from a percentage-wise, you kind of mentioned it, don't necessarily shoot a great percentage from three, but I do think that oftentimes they, they might force a shot here or there that just kind of comes at the end of a shot clock. If you probably ask Trace honestly, you know, he might force a shot or two from three a game that he probably shouldn't have because he clearly is better than a 30% three-point shooter. Is, is that something that maybe from Trace specifically, is that as he talked about that, maybe, maybe being a little bit more picky from when, when he does want to shoot from long range? Um, he hasn't talked about that, but um, it's got to be something that he thinks about and, and something that the coaches uh, talk to him about. Um, they've got to be able to, to get good looks. We, we hear that all the time, and I think this is an offense that more or less does a good job of working to find open shots. So uh, time to talk some big picture, I guess, because Washington is running away with the conference now, three games ahead in the standings. They're certainly looking like they're, they're probably going to be able to win the Pac-12 title. But the Beavers are right there in that group for second, and it's a three-way tie with Arizona State and USC at 6-3. and three. And Oregon State already beat the Trojans uh, without Trace. That was the one game he did miss uh, after suffering that ankle injury in the Civil War. And Oregon State also had a furious comeback at Arizona State that just fell short. It, it seemed like a game that they were maybe going to get blown out in. But then they came all the way back, and I think you could make an argument probably should have won that game. So the, the regular season Pac-12 title is probably not a realistic goal. But, you know, I, I don't see any reason why this team can't finish second in the Pac-12. I mean, do, do you? 
I really don't, um, especially with uh, this stretch they've got coming up. They've already, they're sitting six and three. They've got the Bay Area schools coming in. Uh, they got a, an Oregon team that's improving that will be here at Gill next week, a week from Saturday. And then uh, they go out on the road and uh, they go to the L.A., right? Go to the L.A. schools, right. And then they have Arizona mm-hmm. schools at home, and then they finish with uh, the Cougars and the Huskies. Um, second place is well within reach. Even even 11 or 12 wins seems possible the way this team has really found a way to win on the road. They've got three conference uh, road wins, which is so much more than they've done <laughs> the past. Uh, yeah, second place is within reach. Yeah, I mean, mention the next three games, and I think you could make an argument that the easiest games on the entire schedule, uh, other than Washington State at home. I mean, the Bay Area teams, they're, they're both down this year, and Oregon State just flat out has better players. They should be able to win those games. And then Oregon certainly won't be a pushover at all. Um, Kenny Wooten did not play in the first Civil War game, but, but the Ducks have been a sporadic team at best. They're really hard to figure out what they are. And, and also, Oregon State does play well at home, and the Beavers already won at Matthew Knight Arena, so you can't pencil that in as a victory, but I think that's a game that if you ask the team, you know, honestly, they, they expect to win that. And then you're sitting at nine and three, which is, I mean, Oregon state men's basketball, nine and three in PAC 12. That's pretty crazy, but it really seems like they should be there. And then all you have to do is split those last uh, three series to finish 12 and six in PAC 12. I mean, it just, it doesn't seem crazy at all. Does it? No, it doesn't, but it's, it's just kind of happened all of a sudden here that, that Oregon state is, uh, kind of a, a player in this Pac-12. I'm not sure how many people expected them. I can't remember where they were uh, projected um, in the Pac-12 media, but it was it was 8, 9, 10, something like that. And, uh, yeah, like I s- said earlier, I think it's just experience and these guys uh, kind of learning to play well together and learning how to win. And, look, we all know that the Pac-12 is not super strong this year. Anyone can see it. Did not have a good non-conference schedule. Oregon State didn't as well. Um, very few quality wins o- overall. But still, finishing 12-6 and six in conference play for Oregon State, I think would be a really big accomplishment. And if you look at the latest um, NCAA net rankings, I believe Oregon State sits at 72nd, which is not really currently on the bubble, but is within striking distance. And I, I also know that USC last year finished 12 and six in the Pac-12 standings, made it to the made it to the tournament finals, and was left out of the NCAA tournament. And I think a lot of people felt it was the wrong decision, but still, there's already precedent for a team to go 12 and six in Pac-12 and not make the NCAA tournament. So I, I know that the team is probably trying to say they're not thinking about the big dance right now. There were multiple questions asked to the guys today. They all kind of brushed them off. But I just I, I have to think that. The Beavs, they, they must be thinking, you know, really deep down. They, they have to be thinking about getting back to the NCAA tournament. They are in position to at least give themselves a chance. Sure, they might need to win the Pac-12 tournament to do it, but I, I don't think that is outside the realm of possibility anyway. I guess, could, could you see in, in the middle, late March, could, do you think this team could seriously be in the NCAA tournament? You know, after losing to Texas A&M, losing to Kent State, it just it feels like they've come so far from those, from those games, doesn't it? It does, and it's still going to take uh, quite a bit for them to get there. Unfortunately, their non-conference opponents have not had very good seasons. Also, you got several of those that are in the 200s and even 300s in those net rankings. But um, getting to the NCAA tournament is still going to take a lot of work, certainly because of, of where the Pac-12 is, is viewed nationally. But um, 
if they can get these next three wins, that puts them at 17 and seven, gets them to nine and three, and uh, and who knows what happens from there. They're they're going to need to win probably another uh, another couple games on the road to really give themselves a chance of even being talked about as uh, a team that that has a chance there. And look, some of the fan base might be disappointed if this team only makes it to the NIT, but I just I'm not certain that's fair. I think getting to the NIT for Oregon State's program is still a big deal. I mean, it's not like they're stacking up NCAA tournament appearances. We're talking about one in the last nearly 30 years. So I, I do think getting to the NIT, if they aren't able to win the Pac-12 tournament or if they do drop a game or two here and there in the standings, I think the fan base overall should be happy with an NIT appearance. I mean, don't 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 you think NIT is still a pretty fair goal for this team? I think so, and that would be a huge step forward just from where they were uh, two years ago when they went one and seventeen in, in Pac-12 play. Yeah, it would be a big step forward, but of course also disappointing for those within the program and and its fans because you feel like um, another win or two, you know, if they fall short of the NCAA tournament, another win or two, and you're you're just so close to achieving your ultimate goal. Well, Thursday night, Oregon State hosts Stanford, um, then playing Cal on or Saturday, correct? What uh, got a prediction for me for the weekend? I think uh, Oregon State comes home and, get, and gets a sweep. I haven't seen enough out of Stanford and certainly not out of Cal to think that uh, Oregon State's going to drop one of these two. That, uh, what was it, a 30 point loss to Washington State from Cal that didn't blow you away? No, not at all. <laughs> Cal um, just has not had. Uh, has not produced any kind of traction in this Pac-12, and I, I at this point I can't see him winning a game. Well, Jesse, I really appreciate the time. As always, thanks uh, for being the first official guest on the Beaver Buzz podcast. Hey, glad to do it. Thanks, Bob. Price Financial Group Wealth Management. Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Simplify. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Once again, really appreciate Jesse joining the show today. I'll be sitting right next to him on press row Thursday as Oregon State hosts Stanford. Uh, Tip-off set for uh, 7 p.m. there at Guild Coliseum. If the Beavers are for real, uh, they've just got to complete this sweep this weekend, and, and I do think they're gonna they're gonna pull it off. I just I this Oregon State team feels different than previous years. I don't know if it's the experience, the talent, Coach Tinkle's coaching. I just I think this team is going to make a deep deep run in some type of postseason, whether it's the NCAA tournament or the NIT. That remains to be seen, but. I just do. I think this Oregon State team has something that maybe previous teams were missing. And I think it all starts, uh, well, it all starts Thursday because they need to keep this momentum going. 
Meanwhile, the Oregon State women, ranked seventh in the latest poll, have to travel to the Barrier schools this week. Friday's 6 p.m. matchup at number 11, Stanford, will be broadcast on Pac-12 Network. Uh, the Beavers also have to deal with an unranked but pretty, pretty dangerous Cal team Sunday uh, before returning to Oregon for the highly anticipated Civil War series with number three, Oregon. That is going to be huge. I know I didn't cover much women's basketball on this pod, but I promise we will give the women plenty of love on the next show um, as we lead up to that massive Civil War series. The Ducks ranked number three in the country right now. The Beavers number seven. Those games are going to be fun. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in to the first episode of the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Please check us out on thatcast.com and tell your friends about us in real life and on social media. If you want to hear my inane takes on Beaver Sports plus some other things, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore reels underscore Bob. Uh, I think I snagged that handle in 2008 when all the celebs had real in their handles. Just seemed like a good idea. Uh, never bothered to change it because I am the real Bob. And again, that's Twitter at the underscore real underscore Bob. And on that note, uh, thanks again for joining me. And I will be talking to you guys again next week. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at ThatCast.com.